Welcome to another episode of the Water Women Podcast, the podcast all things ocean. I'm your host, Jill. Well, Pam, welcome to the Water Women Podcast. I'm excited that you're here to join me today. I'd love for you to start out and introduce yourself with your full name, what pronouns you use, and a little bit about yourself. Okay, so I'm Pam Ferris Olson, and I use she, her, and I'm a woman who is very creative. I've got a lot of energy, and just like you, have many skills and experiences uh, to get a job done. Um, I started out um, studying uh, biology and natural resource science when I was living in California, Um, and as a result, I have two master's degrees in the field. And um, I have a PhD in leadership and change. Uh, My dissertation focused on communication between women. Um, Now I live in Maine. And when I moved here, um, I began to wonder what I could do. I originally had moved here with the idea that I would do marine mammal rescue. That didn't work out. And I kind of laid, you know, the pros and cons list that many of us are trained to do to figure out what to do. And I decided that um, my background is uh, pretty heavy in storytelling because I've written for newspapers um, and magazines and um, that um, I could tell stories about what I'm passionate about, which is the environment and uh, women. So um, I started out by doing something called the Women Mind the Water Digital Stories Project. And the idea behind that was everybody likes to take selfies. So I would encourage women to take their phone and tell some kind of personal story about water. And that I would put that up um, on a platform and I had a Google platform and uh, maybe it would connect people through their experiences, whether it was happy or sad, some kind of emotion that would uh, bond us all together as water women. And what I found to my surprise is, is that many women don't want to be in front of their phone and, and tell anything. So in the end, um, I collected stories on my own going uh, to several universities in Boston area and people would send me written stories and photographs and I put together videos uh, for those and I collected nearly a hundred of them and decided that uh, the project had run its course and wanted something more to do. So what I do now is I have a website, a platform called womenmindthewater.com. And I tell stories through uh, several formats, my photographs, my own personal art, and uh, through a podcast called Women Mind the Water um, Artivist Series. And what I do is I engage uh, artists or artivists and telling stories about their art, how they're inspired by the ocean, and how they the ocean inspires them to create art. And um, these women um, 
are not only artists, many of them are uh, scientists and their art is very broad. I use a broad tent for the concept of art. So it can be uh, dancers, it could be spoken word artists. I have a cake artist who talks about um, climate change using cake. Um, I have a, a woman who twice uh, every other year does um, a dance that brings people together from all over uh, North America to dance. And it's their feelings about how the environment in their community, their water environment is impacted. So um, that's what I do. That's phenomenal. That is absolutely amazing. I love that. It's a very similar goal to water women to bring people together who love the water, which I love. Right. Well, I, I am so um, thrilled to see what you do. Um, the number of women and the diversity um, is inspire me to continue. And I am so thrilled not only to meet you, but a month ago, I met a woman in Australia who does something called Ocean Pancake. And uh, her name is, do you know Cat? I do, I do know Cat. So I feel like we're a triumphant, a triumphant, what is that word? Try whatever. <laughs> we, we are three women who um, have a similar uh, passion and a way of trying to bring a community together. And I think community and collaboration is really important in getting any kind of job done. Absolutely, especially in this type of field where it is kind of one of the ones where nothing's going to happen unless a lot of people are pushing for it. It's very important to have that uh, backup and support of this large community that we have. Right. Well, you know, in terms of the scientific community, until recently, scientists worked in their own silos and didn't want to speak out. Um, it was, the, you know, the rare few who um, made a difference in terms of getting out of that silo and trying to bring people together. And, um, you know, it is a rare person like Greta Thunberg who has been able to resonate with enough people to, that one person makes a big difference. Mm. Uh, I think more importantly is, is that when you have a group, you can build a network that can move mountains because we have different audiences. Hopefully they will intersect and together our messages will resonate with more people. Absolutely. Now to go back a little bit onto what you do, you mentioned your art, your ocean artivist series. So art yes. series, tell us a little bit about that. And how do you think the oceans and the arts are connected? And why do you think that those fit so easily together? Okay, well, an artivist, which is, um, I'm not sure when that uh, term was coined, but they are artists who are also activists. And I think that art and, um, I lost my, my train of thought there, but um, I think that the ocean and the art are very, uh, the ocean and art are very interrelated. They both speak to an on emotional level. Um, they resonate deeply in people um, and they um, can bring about healing and um, wellness. And certainly you, you know about art therapy and how 
uh, artists feel, or not art therapists feel that through art, people can um, heal themselves and feel more comfortable with um, those things that stress them. And um, there was a, there is a man named um, Wallace J. Nicholas, Nichols, Wallace J. Nichols, who wrote the book Blue Mind. And he is a researcher. Uh, his area is um, um, sea turtles. And he works in San Francisco. I think he's also a surfer. And he wrote this book because he was interested why people are drawn to water. And he started by interviewing neuroscientists. And he was in an experiment, too, about how being near water changes us. and. Um, so art and water do have an impact on our psyche and our well-being. So I think art and ocean are very interrelated. Absolutely. I fully agree. I've always heard the, um, the expression like salt water heals it all, whether it be like tears, ocean or sweat. And I really like it really resonated with me because every time I'm upset, I just I, I gravitate towards the ocean or I just feel like it evokes such emotion in us that the same way that art does. And so I think that they definitely go hand in hand in some ways. I, I don't know if it is it. Well, certainly as women, we are uh, much more impacted by the moon because we have tides within us. Um, we give life. Um, certainly life evolved from the ocean. Um, so I think, I, I don't have the research to prove it, but I think women are more drawn to water because we are like water. Mm -hmm. And all of us as human beings are made of salt water. Yes. Um, and um, I think what's sad is, is that not enough people understand um, the impact that uh, climate change and pollution like plastic pollution and oil pollution are having on the ocean. Um, and I heard a podcast recently with Dr. Ayana Elizabeth Johnson, who was talking about the blue new deal. Um, it was, a part of a, um, I guess in the Biden administration to make changes in the environment, it, it, sort of what do we want uh, to lay out like green new deal, but it was called blue new deal. And Dr. Johnson was pointing out that through this five page document, there was nothing in the document about ocean except uh, one word. And she worked hard to be involved in making that difference. So people take the ocean, as you know, for granted. Very much so, yes. Um, and I think the other important thing to think about, and what I think that we, you and Kat and I are trying to do is to move away from those messages that are negative and cause people um, what's called eco-anxiety. Mm. Uh, people realize that the problems that are impacting the earth um, and in our case, the ocean um, are more than they can handle. So they get stressed, they get feel doom and gloom and um, you know, they find ways to turn that message off and 
what we're trying to do is to point out all of the wonder and uh, majesty in the ocean and to show that through the eyes, in my case, of artists and scientists, and in your case and Kat's cases, uh, many of them are scientists, but a few of them are artists and um, people like me who have decided to um, find, it's not a unique way, but it's a, a different niche to interact with people and show them the beauty of the ocean through art and to, through the artivists, um, have a kind of a plan in mind for how to move people to see that the ocean is important and maybe make a difference. Absolutely. I do try with water women. I know I've had a lot of scientists on, but I do try. And I think ocean love and care for the environment is so much more than just science. And that's why I've made it a point to always have people on that aren't strictly scientists and to look at things from different perspectives, because I think that without those different perspectives, you're not going to get the full picture. You'll get one. If I only talk to scientists, you'll get one narrow view or not one narrow view, but you'll get this narrow idea of what's actually happening from only the science perspective. So I think it is important that you're talking to the artists and everything as well, too. So I try and diversify that with water women as well. And, and I agree with you wholeheartedly. It's about perspective mm. because uh, it's if we talk to people who have different positions or different experiences, we can see things that we think we know with new eyes. We learn from other people. Um, and sometimes when we think we know something and someone shares a different perspective, um, it changes us. Yeah, absolutely. And we can change them too. Big time. It really, this podcast, hosting this podcast has really opened my eyes to a lot of different perspectives. And I've seen things, ways that I would not have had I not talked to these amazing women. And it's so cool how just taking a couple of seconds to look at something from a different way will really, really alter how you view that and how you view your future even and what you can do. So yeah, it's really important to talk to people from different perspectives and, and not just talk to them, listen to them and understand them and be willing to put yourself in their shoes. Right. And, and, you know, if you want to get really selfish, we learn from it and it's really exciting to engage with other women that share the passion. So in addition to launching it and hoping, I mean, we can't, we can't grab people and say, listen to my podcast and here's what you should get out of it. <laughs> um, you know, it's helping us because otherwise we who see the impacts, um, and, and learn, uh, of what's going on and feeling like, gosh, I, I can't do anything about this and feeling, uh, you know, the gut wrenching of what can I do? At least we're engaged with other people who are in their own ways, trying to make a difference. And that community is important for, um, our psyches and for trying to move forward. Absolutely. Yeah. So how long have you actually been, when did you start Women Mind the Water? When did it start and how has it progressed? Like, what has it been like for you, this journey? So um, it's, that's not an easy answer mm -hmm. because I think that my journey has been zigzagging, uh, you know, from the first me 
to thinking I wanted to be a scientist. And um, then because of um, life, I, I moved from the coast to the Midwest and, and I landlock. Um, I had to like tamp down that um, desire to be near the water. In fact, if you'd come to my house when I lived in Ohio, you'd say this woman is crazy because, you know, I had shells everywhere. And so when I uh, finally got the chance to move back towards the coast, it was like, okay, uh, it's my time to do something. And there's so many things you can do. And um, some of them didn't work out. And then I just sort of said, I have to rely on what I can do. And that's when in 2018, I started, um, well, I started dabbling first by coming up with a logo. Um, And then launching this... um, digital stories project. And that required me to use a lot of talents that I didn't know I had. (laughs) So it wasn't just, I had to figure out advertising. You can't just, you know, think, okay, I'm going to get people to provide digital stories. How do you do that? How do you get the word out? Mm. Um, And learning um, how to use social media and social media doesn't always work the way you think. No. the, the posts that you post that you're like, this is it. This is going to be the best post ever. Get I find like the least amount of likes and the posts that you don't even think about posting are always the ones that are like, yes, everyone loves this. It's so funny. It never goes the way you think. Right. So it, there was that whole aspect of it. And then the aspect, as I said earlier, where I thought I would get lots of posts. People would you know want to send me there's some digital story and I got a few of them, but most of them I had to go and grab or create from the information um, that people would send. Like they type in their little story and I'd say, send me a picture. And then I'd want audio to it. So I'd find somebody who would read the story. So it was a lot of work, um, but it taught me that, you know, if you go after something, you can turn something valuable out. And to my amazement, the Smithsonian Institution um, has this affiliate called uh, Museum on Main Street wanted to post these uh, digital stories. But when I realized that the project was, you know, not really getting any more traction, I had to think about what next. And um, I decided to do a website and you can set up a website. I I have the skills to, you know, take square spaces. uh, What do you call it? Their format and build something. But I found two women to collaborate with who knew how to build a good looking one. And I started that way. And anybody who's followed me early on knows that I'm in the process of, in less than a year, revamping it because things and social media change really fast. And I wanted something that looked more engaging, more photos, less less verbiage, um, easier to navigate. So in 20, 
I guess 2020, towards the end, I started the podcast. And what really has amazed me, and I don't know if you've had this experience, no one has turned me down. Um, And that's really wonderful. People seem to want to tell their stories. I have to admit that a few people I have had to send them multiple emails, but (laughs) yeah. Um, So I've had some people that are really amazing. So I had Asher J who has credentials. She's a a national geographic mucky muck. Uh, She was awarded something. She's also a UN woman of, of influence. Um, And she's created art all over the world. Um, I just interviewed, um, and I'm going to forget her name now. Oh, I'm so sorry. Um, She is, oh, how can I forget? Her first name is Pam. Pam, um, uh, something Bondi. Anyway, sorry, Pam, um, who is a artist uh, with quite a resume at uh, Georgia State. Um, And she has a project called Drifters and she has traveled all over the world following plastic and she has collected the plastic in different sites. Longobardi. There you go. I remembered Pam. Sorry, Pam Longobardi. Um, And she makes installations from the plastics on site. But I I mean, these are amazing women. Um, And I have done half a dozen women who live in the, on the, uh, I'm just, I'm like, I think you just sent, sent me this zap and I forgot it on the Yucatan Peninsula. Um, and I've even had one where I needed a translator. Um, so I've had cat in Australia and you in New Brunswick, and I've had connections with, uh, the Yucatan, and now I'm going to. I have an interview set up with a woman in Paris. Amazing! So I, I'm thrilled that some people feel that they want to tell their stories, and I think that's probably unique not you not unique among all of us is that we have a story that we want to share, and when somebody asks us to do it, we feel empowered as yeah. as a person. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the women you talk to probably haven't had their 15 minutes of fame. I'm I'm sure there are a few of them, but it's nice to interact and say what you do is important. And um, hopefully, if nothing else, they can at a party say, well, I don't know about you, but I'm up on the Smithsonian. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I do. I've been pretty lucky with Water Women to get to have some absolutely incredible females that I don't think I would have ever gotten the chance to meet and like had some opportunities that really blew my mind of people I got to talk to. But I also make it a point to talk to like people in their undergrads and people who are just coming up in their journey. Like I like we go back to this perspective, all the different perspectives are so important, but it is so amazing to get to see these different connections that you make all around the world. It's amazing. And the Smithsonian, that's absolutely incredible for you. And I love that you do give attention to undergraduates and graduate students, because if anybody needs a boost, it, you know, these, these women 
are in the trenches and probably have imposter syndrome all the time. I know I had that as a, a graduate student. Mm, absolutely. I originally started when I was studying um, natural resource science for uh, at Berkeley. Um, I was supposedly studying uh, beaver in the Sierra Nevada. Oh. Um, and I was the only female at a um, field station. And at some point, I just realized, you know, this is great, but I don't want to do this. I was uh, carrying around 30-pound trap, live traps in cold night waters. And beavers are bigger than people think, and they're stronger than people think. And my heart was on the ocean. And my master's thesis was on the southern sea otter. Oh, so cool. it just sometimes takes... Uh, some people are lucky and they know what they want to do and they go for it. And some people are lucky and have uh, the right mentors. Um, and I had good mentors, but they didn't understand the direction I needed to go in. Yeah. That's always hard. Right. So I think in the end, my journey, getting back to your question is a zigzaggy one. And I am where I'm supposed to be, but I appreciate it and put the energy in and have the passion for because I went in many directions that uh, didn't feel like where I wanted to be, but I got the skills in uh, writing and in um, getting past that imposter syndrome and feeling the power of uh, leading change among women. Yeah, absolutely. The imposter syndrome is a big thing that I've talked about so many times on this podcast, but being a woman, being an undergrad, being just so, feeling like you're not where you're supposed to be can really throw you off and throw a wrench into your plans. And you're just kind of like, is this where I'm supposed to be? Is this what I'm supposed to be doing? But like everyone belongs. And that is something that I am so passionate about and believe in 110% is that everyone belongs in this space. Right. Well, I think the main thing is that we, when we have imposter syndrome, sometimes it's because we don't belong there. We just, you know, I had a very famous uh, mentor at Berkeley who offered me this project and was like, how can I turn it down? This is where I'm supposed to be. And later on, I realized no, but um, mm. at other times you are where you're supposed to be and you just have to have a passion for it. If you, if you love what you do, then you belong there. If you don't love what you do, then maybe you need to be somewhere else. And that's not easy to say because sometimes you need the money um, or you don't know where else to go. Um, and I have masters, I have two master's thesis and a PhD in totally different fields. So <laughs> there's nothing um, wrong some people might say I can't make up my mind. I think it was just that I didn't understand that it was the path I was supposed to follow. And I'm so grateful that I'm meeting people like you who have the same passion and have found um, the value of podcasting. I don't know where podcasting will be in five years, uh, but at least for now, it's a great place to be. And it's just figuring out how to get people to listen. And I think if you and Kat and I uh, network and, and share our sites, that it will build an audience and maybe a movement. Hopefully that's the goal, right? Right. <laughs> I love that. 
So I guess my last few questions are ones that I ask everyone that comes on here and they're part of my favorite. We've kind of touched on this question a little bit already, but if there was a little girl listening who wanted to join this movement, what would be your number one piece of advice for her? Hmm. Well, I guess it depends on where they live and how old they are. Um, But I think probably the best thing to do is to find somebody in the field of what you're interested in and to try and reach out to them and have a conversation. Ask them, ask them about what they do and how they could get there. Um, Or to start locally um, with a teacher. Um, There are uh, people who are teach in schools um, are there not for the money. They're there because they get um, a, a thrill uh, get filled up by students coming and being interested. Yeah. And the other thing to do is to find a way to volunteer with an organization that does something that you think you're interested in. So with all the things I do, I'm also a friend of Casco Bay water reporter, which means that when I'm out kayaking, uh, I take pictures of things like coastal erosion and I posted on the water uh, reporter site at, for my group. And uh, I had this picture I took last year in September 2020, where they had tried to shore up the side of an island using logs. And it was just out there the other day. And you can see that it was a waste of money and time. But so there's a record now of two times at high tide within a year of how erosion is happening. So just small things like that, like being a citizen scientist can make a difference. Absolutely. That's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Citizen science is amazing. It's so underrated. And like you mentioned before, reach out to talk to people. I, the one thing that makes this absolutely hundred percent worth it is getting DMs or emails or any sort of messages on water room and saying like, I love what you do. I want to be part of it. I was wondering if you could answer these questions and, if I can't answer it, I love connecting them with someone who can. And for the most part in this community, everyone wants to talk about what they do and they love sharing it. So there's going to be very few times that you reach out to someone and say, Hey, I love what you do. Can you tell me more? And they're going to go, no, absolutely not. Right. Exactly. So I think that's amazing advice and to always feel like you can reach out to people. And if they don't know the answer, chances are they're going to be willing to connect you with someone who does. Right. Absolutely. And then just before we head off, Pam, where can people follow with Women Minds the Water? How can they find you on social media? What's your website? All the socials. Thank you so much. So the best place to start is womenmindthewater.com. Navigation is easy. So if you want to see some of the podcasts, just go to the podcast and there's a whole gallery. So you can see the women. You can read what they do um, on each of the artist pages. Uh, You can link to the video and the audio and a transcript. Um, You can also go to um, my social media, clicking through it. So I'm on Facebook, Instagram, um, YouTube, and Twitter. Uh, Twitter, 
connect and I'd love to have a conversation. You may know somebody that I should be interviewing or interview you, or you'll have a suggestion. Um, and my email is womenmindthewater at comcast.net. Perfect. Awesome. Thanks for sharing that, Pam. So Pam, thank you so, so much for joining me today. It was absolutely phenomenal to get to talk to you and to share Women Mind to the Water. I'm so excited for everyone to go check it out. Thank you for having me, Jill. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Water Women podcast. I love sharing these stories with you and I love that you love to listen. Make sure if you like the podcast, you're leaving a review and liking and subscribing to the podcast. It really helps us out. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Water Women Podcast and on Twitter at Water Women Pod. You can also check out more from us, including quizzes, blog posts, and shop our site at waterwomenpodcast.ca. Thanks again for listening, and until next week, stay salty.